Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine, where this week we're chatting to SK Tremaine. He's a travel writer, traveling all over the world, writing articles and novels and getting paid to do it. What a life, what a life. We're not jealous at all, are we? In his time, he's written religious conspiracy novels, thrillers, and he's back with a new book called The Drowning Hour. We talk about why, fortunately for a travel writer, he can write anywhere. Also, why he likes to escape to get his work done. And you can hear why travel writing has taught him to keep things tight. The discipline is the discipline. You know, you've got You've got an 800-word article to file for the Daily Mail. That's what you've got to do. The editor does not want to see 2,000 words. That makes his job much harder. That's another thing I learned from journalism, which I transferred in novel writing, is you know, st- stick to your brief. If, if, if you've got to write 800 words, don't go over that. Uh, similarly with a thriller, you know, 90,000 words. Nail 90,000 words. Don't produce 150,000 or 20,000. So I learned length from that. So, um, yeah, it is hard. You've got to pluck out the cherries and put them into, a, into you know, the little cake that is your article. Um, and, yeah, and it's, it's very good to learn that as a writer, to stick to the remit. That's all with SK Tremaine in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Ahoy, welcome to the show. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look inside an author's working day to see how they get stuff done, how they get their idea, they plan their life, their space, their time to give them the best chance of getting it written in the greatest way possible. Uh, My name is Dan Simpson. Thank you very much for being there, for following, for sharing, for getting in touch at writersroutine.com. This week, we are with SK Tremaine. Uh, Sean is a travel writer who travels all around the world writing articles and writing novels when he gets the chance to. He's written many books under many different names. He wrote uh, Religious Conspiracy in the boom time of it in the noughties under the name Tom Knox. Uh, There's novels under his own name, Sean Thomas, and he's got a new one out under the name S.K. Tremaine. It's called The Drowning Hour. It's set in the Stanhope, a once grand hotel in Essex, and it follows Hannah, a publicist for the hotel, and what she does after some guests disappear into the ocean during a huge reopening ceremony. We talk about why, when he's writing... He doesn't care if the space is bad, if the time is bad, if the atmosphere is bad. The only thing that he needs to get to work is a good idea. Also, we do touch on his job. I'm incredibly curious. I mean, what a life it must be being a travel writer. 
must be incredible to follow your nose, follow these leads to incredible places around the world to write a, a thousand or so words for big newspapers and getting paid for it as well. Um, so I asked him a few questions. I thought it was only right to ask, how on earth has he managed to get into it? You can hear why he likes to escape, to write, to be honest, in a writing routine that I am insanely jealous of. And it just reiterates the point, really. Uh, it's never the same for anyone else. And it's always good to remember that. And we jump into it, as we always do, talking about what SK Tremaine sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. OK, well, um, I'm a travel writer, so I move around a lot. And my surroundings change. And right at this moment, I'm in the royal capital of Montenegro, a place called Setinje, uh, which is like an English garden town in the Alps. It's very pretty and it's sweet. And I can looking out the window, I can see... Uh, a medieval monastery and some 19th century museums and lots of sunshine, which is nice. And yeah, um, I could happily write here. How, if you're traveling all over the place, how often do you get to work on novels when you are high up in the Alps of Montenegro? Um, well, whenever I need to write, I can write, actually. I don't really need a place. I mean, I do have better places. I find, I do find hotels quite good very good in fact as long as they don't have too good a view if you've got a great view it's very distracting what you want is a hotel room which is quite boring uh you know a blank wall uh, so you can concentrate on the laptop and then maybe nice surroundings outside but you need a, a blank boring room but it could be anywhere oh really that's interesting and, and when, when you are writing anywhere aside from a blank boring space what do you need with you to write a novel is it as simple as a laptop and your fingers yeah uh, I, I, I need a good idea more than anything else um uh, and if i have a good idea an idea that really seizes me i can write anywhere um probably my most successful work was the ice twins and i remember writing that i was traveling all the time and i would write in uh, airport departures lounges uh you know hotel rooms trains i traveled throughout that year and i just whenever i got time to sit down with a laptop, which could be anywhere, I sat down and I, and I wrote. Uh, well, how tricky is it for you to do that, for you to block out all the airport chaos, all the trundling of the trains and immerse yourself in your story? Uh, it, I, I don't find it that hard. As I said, if, if the idea is good enough, and this is, applies to non-fiction as well, journalism or, as well as novels, if the idea um, grasps me, then I will do it. Uh, I can focus quite quite easily uh, on the screen and on the idea and on the writing. It's, it's when I haven't really got a uh, sense of what I'm doing that it can all go wrong. And then again, it doesn't really matter where that is. If it goes wrong, it goes wrong. So if it is just you and a laptop, run me through what uh, writing software you're using. We get very into that. And also what font do you like to use, Sean? Okay. Um, I do have a specific font. It's Bookman, I think. Uh, 12, if that makes any sense. Um I don't know why I like it, but I've always used that. And I get quite annoyed if I have to use a different font. Maybe I've never really spoken about this before, but maybe other writers are the same. Uh, yeah, I really have a definite font that feels easy and legible and quite pretty. And and then I don't have to worry about it. If I don't like the font, it distracts me and I get irritated. I also have a specific kind of paragraphing, one and a half line spaces, all that stuff. Um that all has to be right. That's all on my laptop. So again, it's easy to travel. You just take it with you these days, which is fantastic. Uh, and sorry, what else do you want to know about? Oh, it was just what writing software are you using? Nice and easy. Yeah, uh, Word. Um, 
again, I'm, I'm so used to it. It's it's become something I don't think about. So it's, it's yeah, it's just simple and, and and fantastic really. These days, to be able to write wherever you like with, with the same, you know, fonts and all of that is is, is a great benefit. So when you're writing novels, then if you're traveling all around using just your laptop, is are uh, is everything contained in your head? Everything else, all the plots, all the ideas, and the characters. Is there any form of them written down outside of your manuscript at all? Oh yes, totally. I use Dropbox and Evernote really quite a lot. Uh, I'm sorry, there's traffic going outside. That's all right. You're in Montenegro. Yeah, I use Evernote and Dropbox to take notes all the time. Again, they're such fantastic tools because you know they, they're all synced to the cloud, so you know you can't lose them. I remember the days when you could lose your notebook. That was a disaster. You know, it could be a year's worth of thoughts and it's gone. But now we have the, uh, the internet and the cloud and it's fantastic. So I use those. I jot down character notes, plot notes, just an ideas, riffs all the time. Maybe you know, 10, 20 times a day I'll, I'll go on Evernote. And then I, then I often take those and put them all into one document, which I store in Dropbox you know, under the, the provisional title of the book. Now, you've worked as a, a travel writer and a journalist for, for quite a time, and now you're writing novels. What did write, working as a journalist, what did writing pieces about Montenegro or different countries that you've travelled to, what has that taught you and how has it set you up for writing creative novels? Uh locations and I really do like to write a good location and a moody atmospheric island you know a forest a city in the winter uh, I love locations I love writing about locations and, and that that is obviously part of why I enjoy enjoy being a travel writer I love travel I love different places this place Setinje Montenegro is just so unexpected and it's got a real atmosphere of the late 19th century I can imagine a book being set here under the plane trees so yeah, location is really important, and I got that from travel. And also journalism taught me to take notes all the time. You know, you can often be having breakfast or showering or, you know, and as soon as you get out of the shower, if you had a good thought, write it down straight away. Otherwise, you'll lose it. So, yeah, immediately take notes all the time. And now we've got smartphones. You, you can take notes all the time wherever you are. You don't even need a pen. So that, that's another great tip from journalism that I've learned. Now, being a travel journalist, just uh, – I want to take you to the very start of when that happened for you because it's it's a job that many people would like. Come on. It, uh, was it a case of you just deciding to do it yourself? You heading to, I don't know, Lisbon one day, writing something and then firing it off to her newspapers and, and, and magazines? How, 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 I know it's such an open-ended question. How, how does one become a, a travel journalist? Yeah, it's a, it is a, it is a good question because it's a very privileged job and I'm very lucky. Um, I was really annoying when I <laughs> when I was young. Um, I hope I'm slightly less annoying now. But I would just pester ed- editors um, with my ideas, most of which were rubbish, but maybe one in twenty would be good. Um, and I was doing other journalism. I was doing book reviews. I was doing some stuff about politics or art. But I really wanted to do travel. I mean, who doesn't? So. I would send off loads of ideas again and again, and I wouldn't take no for an answer. And I would, I would accept rejection, but I wouldn't take it to heart. I would, st- I would try again. And eventually the editor said, okay, well, you can go to Iceland or something. You know? And and I did, and I wrote quite bad articles, to be honest. And um, and a lot of them didn't get published, but I but I kept trying. I was just, you know, dogged. Um, and as I kept trying, I think I got better at it. So as you do. 
And I practiced that. I did my 10,000 hours of bad articles. And then I started producing quite good articles. It was like uh, you turn on a tap in the summer to get cold water. You've got to let it run for a while before you get pure cold water. That's what I did with my brain, I think. I just let it run. And then eventually it came good. I was writing some quite good stuff. And then if, event, finally, after 10, 15 years, I got editors ringing me up saying, would you like to do this or do that or go here or go there? That was, that was marvelous. When you reach that stage, you can, yeah, that, that, that's fabulous because you don't have to worry about ideas so much. And how challenging is it going to a place, spending two, three days, maybe even a week in one location and trying to distill all of that into a few thousand words for an article? Uh, often less than that. I mean, it, it can be 800 words, and it is quite hard. Because you go to a place and it's wonderful, and you want to write about everything. But the discipline is the discipline. You know, you've got you've got an 800-word article to file for the Daily Mail. That's what you've got to do. The editor does not want to see 2,000 words. That makes his job much harder. That's another thing I learned from journalism, which I transferred in novel writing, is you know, st- stick to your brief. If, if, if you've got to write 800 words, don't go over that. Uh, similarly with a thriller, you know, 90,000 words. Nail 90,000 words, don't produce 150,000 or 20,000. So I learned length from that. So, um, yeah, it is hard. You've got to pluck out the cherries and put them into, a, into a, you know, the little cake that is your article. Um, and, yeah, and, it, and it's, it's very good to learn that as a writer, to stick to the remit. Now, you have an ideal job. Uh, we've discussed this, a very privileged position. What made you want to start writing novels then, enter into a world that does not exist physically in other countries, that exists only in your your brain? Why make that leap? Um, Because I've always loved writing. And in the end, you want to write a story. I think you do. I think every writer... Every writer wants to be a novelist, I guess, probably. Maybe that's too general. But, you know, to write a story with made-up character, you're creating everything from your head, as you say. And that's such a challenge, and you want to meet that challenge. And if you can do it, it's very satisfying. To write a, a novel that is read by lots of people is, is to, to my mind, more satisfying than anything else in writing. The best place I've found for writing is Thailand in the winter. And when I say winter, I mean the English winter. So it's horrible in... Uh, London in, say, January or February, but I often fly out to Thailand for a month or two um, to sit in a pretty pretty bare hotel room, but in a nice hotel in an interesting part of Bangkok. This is all pre-COVID, of course. So anyway, so I'm, I'm, I fly out to Thailand and I completely unpack. I know I'm going to be there for a month or two, and then I do have a routine. I will wake up at about 9 a.m., 10 a.m., have a coffee in my in my room, not even leave the room, um, and go pretty much go straight from bed to the desk, you know, just have a 10-minute shower and then use my morning brain to get to work without having proper breakfast. I find food slows you down, so I don't eat breakfast. It slows down the brain. Uh, I don't think that's a fact. So I'm quite hungry. I'm caffeinated. I'm sitting at my desk 10 minutes after getting up, and then I write straight for two or three hours in that hotel room. And, of course, the advantage of being in Bangkok is that it's – six, seven hours ahead of London. So everyone in London is asleep. Uh, I'm not going to get emails from my editor or whatever. Um, and that means it's, I'm not distracted by the internet, which is really crucial. Uh, so I sit there and I do two or three hours and I write maybe, it could be a thousand words, it could be 3,000 words. I try to write it all in one go without even without, without reading it back. Just sit there and do it, let it flow. Uh, and then that's pretty much it for the day. I will then knock off at, say, 1, 8, 1 p.m., go and have a nice Thai lunch, 
come back to the hotel room, maybe have a swim, do some sunbathing. It's quite a nice life. Come back, uh, do some editing, not creative stuff in the afternoon because my brain has slowed down. I do some editing. I, I maybe do some journalism. Uh, I have a siesta. And then, but, and then I'm knackered by 5, 6 p.m. That's a day's work. And, and creating, creating, writing novels is, is quite taxing. So it is quite exhausting, physically exhausting. So, and then 6 p.m., I go out and have a gin and tonic, and that's it. Do, the, do it again the next day, and the next day, and the next. <laughs> it's, it sounds like a good life, i got to say. Well, so well yeah, it, 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 I, I don't interrupt, but it is a good life unless the book goes wrong. <laughs> then it's, then it's, it's just as tough as any job, you know? And you think, oh, my God, this isn't working. And, and those three hours where you breeze through it become six hours of torture, and it's like, oh, God, what have I done wrong? Why isn't the plot sinking together? And, you know, it, it, it can be bloody hard work. So when you're sat there at 10 a.m., you've just rolled out of bed, maybe you had a quick cup of coffee and you're still in your creative morning brain. How do you know what you want to do in the next three hours? How much of an idea do you have of where the plot is going next? Yeah, good question. I do definitely have a superstructure. Uh, I've learned this over decades. I used to write novels with no plot, you know, and literary fiction. And uh, and they didn't sell very well, perhaps because they didn't have very good plots. So I've, I've learned, you know, painfully that you do, ideally, I think some writers can do without this, but I certainly need a blueprint. You know, I need a, a schematic. I need to be able to sit down and think, right, yeah, this is chapter 23, and this character does this, and this character will, oh, my God, do that. That's the twist at the end of the, of the chapter. So I, I have a pretty good idea these days of what I'm going to write about yeah, that morning. Uh, and... Uh, it's really true. So at the end of your day, how is it a word count? Is it a, a place in the story that you're aiming to get to? It's normally a chapter. Uh, yeah. So I, I know where I'm, I'm going. To, I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter and end at the end of the chapter. Uh, some days that doesn't happen. It doesn't work and you get a quarter of a chapter done. Some days you write amazingly well and you get two chapters done. My, my chapters tend to be quite short, say 2,000 words, 1,500 words. So, and I will... You know, I won't push it. If it's gone really well, but I've done a chapter, I will normally knock off. I think, right, that's good. That's good work. You know? um, and there really is no point in writing when you're really tired or uninspired and, you know, in the afternoon. You know, don't, don't strain too much. And, yeah, so I, a chapter is a pretty nice measure of writing, I, I find, for one day's work. So that's an ideal writing day when you're having a nice time over in Thailand. But you mentioned earlier on that you sometimes have to write anywhere, in airports, on trains, in, on buses. How does that change things? So when you are sat there, say on an airport, and you, on a plane, and you've got a couple of hours flight over the Alps, how much of an idea at that moment will you have of what you want to get done? And are you quite strict and harsh on yourself if that doesn't happen? I am pretty strict. And yes, it is more difficult then, obviously. Um, but again, this is where the chapter technique comes in quite handy because you've got a target, you've got a certain amount of plot, you've got to you know, elaborate. Um, as I think it was James Joyce who said, you've got to march your soldiers over the river. That's what you've got to do. You've got to march your soldiers over the river. And once you've done that, it's that, that day's work is complete. So sit down, tune out all the all the peripheral noise and the people wandering around the airport, look at the screen, focus on the next word and march your soldiers over the river. It can, it can work. This isn't really on writing. This is something I'm curious of. How long does it take you 
what, traveling or traveling in a new place for you to actually allow yourself to relax and settle. I always find that I'm often so excited to be in a new place that I just always want to be seeing what's out there, what's next. And the idea of you being in Thailand and giving yourself a siesta and not kind of seeing what else is in Bangkok is kind of alien to me. How, how do you cope with that? Well, Bangkok is quite boring during the day. So <laughs> that, that really helps. Seriously, it helps. Um, you know, it's too hot to go out. You, know, you can sit by a swimming pool and have a and sunbathe, but you don't want to go out, you know, exploring. There isn't that much to see in Bangkok during the day. It's a nighttime city when the temperature is more clement. You go out and have fun in the bars. You know, it's a great town at night. Not a great town when it's hot during the day. So, yeah, yeah a siesta is what you want to be doing. And writing is much better than wandering around some extremely hot soy near Sukhumvit Road. So, um, yeah. And the other places which are more interesting, they are distracting. I agree. I mean, Montenegro is quite distracting because it's, I haven't been here before. It's a really unique little culture. Uh, it was never colonized by the Ottoman Empire. So it has this very strange, rebellious spirit, which you can sense in the people. So luckily, I'm not writing a novel at the moment. So I don't mind being distracted. It, it, but if I am, yeah, it can be tricky. You've got to balance the two things. Uh, so I, if I'm in a really fascinating place, I yield to it and I will go out there and, and, and explore and have fun. Um, so, and then I'd have to carve out days when I, when I accept, right, I'm not going to be looking at anything today. I'm going to stay in my room, you know, get room service and write. So you, again, maybe I chop up the days in the week then rather than the hours in the day. When the words are, are finding it hard to come to you, uh, what tips and tricks, you seem like quite a strict, disciplined writer writing anywhere, but what tips and tricks have you learned along the way to kind of ease the cogs of writer's block? I have had writer's block. It's pretty grim. Um, I, I, what tricks did I use? I think you've just got to wait. It's a bit like waiting out a depression. What does Stephen Fry say about depression? You know, it's like the rain. You've got to wait for it to end. And I think, I'm not sure you can really nudge writer's block out of the way. you just got to endure it. Um uh, and it will go away. You know that, that, that's the thing to hold on to. You know it, it comes and goes, like an anticyclone. So when I had it, I've only had it badly once, uh, and it probably was linked with depression. Maybe I don't know. Um, it was lasted about a month, and I don't know how. I, to be honest, I've got to be honest. I don't know how it went away. It just went away. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll be back with more from Sean in just a sec. I'd like to push you towards our Patreon page if you'll let me. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, over 240 episodes now. This is number 241. I think of the linear ones. We've had kind of offshoots here and there, but I think it's 241. Uh, in that time, we've spoken to some of the best authors in the world, some writers who are just getting started, some writers that when we spoke to them were just getting started, and now are some of the most published and bought authors on the planet. I'm quite pleased about that. If you've learned anything along the way that has just helped the way that you tell your stories, helped the way that you plan your day to give you the best chance of maximising your creativity, you can say thanks, you can support the show and become a backer at our Patreon page. Just a dollar or so a month, only a little bit. It really helps us keep going. It helps us keep bringing you these chats as often as possible. And I know it's very tough out there. Times are tight. Uh, so I appreciate anything you can sling my way. For that, you get merch. There is bonus content. There is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. So if you've published something, if it's not had the fanfare that you think it rightly deserves, I can make that happen for you. Let me plug away on your behalf. Just become a backer. Over on our Patreon, a couple of dollars a month really helps us keep going. To help us out, if we've helped you out, it's patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back into it then with SK Tremaine talking about his new novel, The Drowning Hour. It's set in the Stanhope, a grand hotel in Essex that's reopening when some guests disappear into the ocean. We talk about the idea for the story, why it came from being locked down during a pandemic, also inspired by his trips around the world. Also, we get into the actual writing of it and we jump back into it talking about uh, travel writing. You can see I'm quite focused on this. Uh, he's travelled all around the world. And I'll be honest, this is nothing to do with writing of the novel. I'm just insanely curious. In all of those places, where has he felt the most afraid? Antarctica is amazing, uh, but very scary because you can die in so many ways. Well, in fact, even Greenland, Greenland is even scarier. Because there are infinite number of ways you can die in Greenland. For instance, just way one, I had no idea that, um, that when an iceberg carves, when it topples off the glacier into the water, it can cause a tsunami. And these regularly kill people in Greenland. You know, an iceberg falls into the sea, wham, a village can be wiped out, a village on the coast. Sometimes uh, sheet ice you know, that forms on, on water in winter, that can suddenly move inland three kilometres like a kind of ice tsunami, a tsunami made of ice. That's a different kind of tsunami. And when travellers to Greenland first heard these stories about entire settlements being wiped out by these rolling sheets of ice, they didn't believe it until they saw it happen and saw hundreds of people being crushed under these, yeah, these, these, these splurges of ice. So, yeah, Greenland is immensely challenging, very exhilarating and absolutely horrifying. What about terrifying... Uh when you're out at night, perhaps, wandering around, where have you felt most intimidated? <laughs> uh, oh, God, no, I do know some. Yeah, Latin America, I'm afraid to say, is pretty scary. Mexico City, yeah, Oaxaca, um, very, very violent. You know, it's the, it's the drug wars. And, and they got worse since I was last there, so God knows what they're like now. But Latin American cities, I'm afraid, can be you know, really menacing for anyone. Let's get back to the books. That's why we're here. Uh, your new novel, 
the second one, I believe, that's published is called The Drowning Hour. Uh, of all the places... It's actually, I think, the fifth. But it's actually, it's about the twelfth. I've had about nine different... I've had about nine different... Don't worry. I've had about nine different pseudonyms. So um, it's quite confusing for people when I say I've actually written... The, the press release... Uh, with you as S.K. Tremaine has told me it's the second one. But anyway, um, uh, of all the places in the world, you've set this off the coast of East England. Just tell me about the very first idea that you had for this story. How did the drowning hour pop into your brain? Uh, again, it was a location. I was doing a, a travel piece for one of the, probably the Mail or the Guardian. I can't remember. Um, and they sent me to a place called O.C. Island, which is in the Blackwater estuary off Essex. Now, I think Essex gets a bad rep, you know, it's sort of for various different reasons. But it also has a really spooky, sometimes beautiful side in a kind of melancholy way. And around the River Blackwater, you can see it, and especially on O.C. Island, because it's this quite large, flat island with a, a spooky history of pirates and smugglers and weird countercultural settlements and hippies and rehab centers. Amy Winehouse was there for doing rehab, unsuccessfully, I would say. Um, and it's also connected to the land by literally by a Roman causeway, which only emerges for an hour a day. So, you know, if you miss the causeway for that hour, you're stuck there all day, all night, until the next tide, next low tide, which, of course, is great for a thriller because you're isolating your characters immediately. That's what every thriller writer wants. You want to isolate them. Um, so I was there and it was winter, but these huge Essex skies and calling water birds and this, this fantastic history of pirates and, and witches and all of that. And I suddenly thought, yeah, I'll set it here. And then, and then when I've got a location, that's re- that's an excellent seed from which something can grow. And to extend that metaphor, uh, how do you water that seed? Because you've said that you, you plan quite extensively because you feel you need to now you're writing thrillers before you start writing. You've got this, you've got a place where you can lock away characters. What are you doing? How are you generating a plot in your mind to be set here? Uh, well, it's not easy. You know, you've got to, and it's it's all too easy to fall into cliche. So, Again, I find location quite inspiring. On that first trip to OC, I, I walked around the island thinking, what would happen here? Who would be here? And, it, and it, to be honest, for a long time, it didn't really click what, what I was going to do on this island. And then it did. Uh, the, I, did a, I did a second visit. I went back and I suddenly thought a hotel, you know, a hotel on an island. And that was it. That was the, the, the big door into the plot swung open and uh, because and also it was really easy for me to write that to an extent because i'm a travel writer so i know hotels really well i know how they work you know, i've met so many hotel managers and you know hotel pr women and like all that stuff I, that's been my my trade for 30 years so that was already in my head i, I love hotels anyway i love the, the, the gossip you get between guests and about guests i love and the staff you know mischievously you know pranking each other or doing worse things to each other. All that goes on in a hotel. And if you've especially got a hotel on an island, it can get really incestuous and quite strange. And I know this for a fact, because I've been to the Maldives, where each island is a hotel. The Maldives are quite a big inspiration for this book, and I mentioned them in the book. Because in the Maldives, if you work on one of the hotels, you, you live on that island for that, or that coral atoll for three, four months at a time, you don't get off, which creates some quite you know, high-pressured emotions and affairs go on between, you know, whatever, and sometimes between guests and staff, and it, it can it can get quite toxic. So 
that was all good. And I had the idea of a hotel. And then it really, then the plot peopled itself. I thought, what, I'm going to have a PR girl. I'm going to have this creepy manager. I'm going to have these strange guests. And, and it, it all began to slot into line. Now, if you're being quite uh, strict with yourself as an author, uh, and now you're writing thrillers, I guess you don't want to waste time having to edit and picking up a lot on the bat. You said, you know, 90,000 words, that's what you need to write. How much thought do you give about the very next word that you're writing? Is it any word or is it hopefully the perfect one? It's it's hopefully, but seldom the perfect one. But um, uh, sometimes you've got to accept good enough. You know, you just, something that you've got you've, you've not only got a, a word dead word limit you've got a deadline as well usually in, in publishing so you can't sit around for five months waiting waiting for the next paragraph you know put the word down then move on and you can always go back and change it so my advice to to writers starting out is just write let it flow put it down just get anything on on paper or on screen and you know, and remember you can always edit so you know let just switch on your subconscious and let it flow uh, amazing and uh, ha- ha- this is a you know quite an open-ended one but you're writing about hannah who is a publicist for a hotel uh what she is a woman you are not and you are traveling around the world she's kind of locked in this place how are you getting to know her getting to know her voice when it is something that might be quite different to yours um well i wrote this novel under lockdown and yeah I think we all had different experiences of lockdown, but for me, lockdown one was great because it was really sunny and I was with my then wife and we were in the countryside and it was beautiful. And remember that really weird weather we had the first lockdown. It was just, it, it was, it was very pleasant and though very, very strange. I'm sure it was not very unpleasant for a lot of people, but I had my unpleasant lockdowns and they were lockdowns two and three. My wife and I split up amiably, but we split up and so I did lockdown two and three on my own in a one-bed flat in Camden, which was not so good. And the third one was the winter. The winter lockdown was horrific for me. I was, you know, one hour a week meeting a friend in a bloody park. I never want to see a duck again. I've seen, I saw so many ducks those three months of hell. And so I put all of the angst into Hannah's character trapped on that island. She's basically under lockdown. And she, and she obsesses about it, you know, about escaping from this, as I was obsessing about escaping from this wintry nightmare of lockdown three. Now, you've written all types of books. This one is thriller, as you say. How much do you, how much thought did you give to the, 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 the tropes and the beats that a thriller audience expect from that type of novel? Quite a lot. Um, yeah, the, those expectations are there for a reason because they usually mean a book is working. You know, if you get that plot twist a third of the way in, halfway through, two thirds of the classic four act structure. Um, yeah, I, I did try and, and put those in. I think they come naturally is putting it too strong, but I think they are, they become part of your normal rhythm of writing after a while, after a few books. You realize this has to happen now. You're kind of expecting it in your subconscious. Oh, what's the twist that's going to happen in chapter 20? I'd have to say 80 chapters, a quarter of the way in. Um, so, yeah, I do, I do pay quite significant attention to what people expect of a thriller. Now, just away from this novel, The Drowning Hour, am I right in thinking... Uh, a few years ago, under a different guise, you wrote... Um, th- was it The Genesis Secret? <laughs> yes, I did, yeah. So that was... What was it like writing 
I guess, religious conspiracy in that boom time of the mid-noughties around the Da Vinci Code and all of that, which was, you know, you, you, there were a lot of religious conspiracies out. And I know because I'm, I'm, I'm such a sucker for them. What was it like writing a novel like that in, in that time and, and kind of being swept along by that press and praise? Uh, oh, it was fantastic. I can't lie. Um, they're such great fun to write as books because um, you could just go mad, you know, and, you know, I had, and you, I would, I would weave in the most ridiculously diverse themes. You know, like, I think in one of the books, the Babylon, right. I wove in like Mexican drug gangs and, and the Knights Templar, of course. And, and, uh, and yeah, Iberian explorers and, and Vikings on hallucinogenic mushrooms and, it, and, People were dying in the in Namibia. It was just you could go all over the world, and I did. Another great thing about them was the I had to research them, and which I loved doing. So it meant I had to go all over the world to these crazy places, like the deserts of North Peru, or the deserts of Namibia, or Greenland, or wherever. And I would and I would literally research the locations myself, and sometimes quite dangerous places, but always quite exciting places. And that's and that way I would knit the book together, and then you know, and also they were quite well rewarded financially. So. Yeah, it was a good time. I'm not going to lie. And normally with these books, they've got very short chapters, but like a page or two at most. And it's a roller coaster. You're you're going from here to there, from here to there. It's like an American hour long drama. Uh, how cha- <laughs> And this is not weighted at all, but how challenging is that to write? How, how much harder is uh, maybe more fancy fiction than, you know, you know, these very blistering scenes? How tricky is that? Uh, you know what? I think any novel is hard to write. You know, it's it's hard to create something out of nothing, uh, whether it's literary fiction or Dan Brown. You know, whether you're James Joyce or Ken Follett, it's it's hard, um, and and it's never easy. And so, yeah, I wouldn't specifically say writing short chapters is harder than writing long ones. It's just hard. Thank you so much to SK Tremaine for coming on the show. I really enjoyed chatting to him all the way over in in Europe, locked away in a mountain somewhere. Uh, The book is The Drowning Hour. You can get a copy right now. Next week, very excited for this, we're chatting to um, Melvin Burgess. He won the Carnegie Medal for Junk, you might remember, in the kind of early noughties. It's a novel for teens about heroin use in Bristol. That's a big subject. It made waves. We talk all about that next week on the show. It's recognised as one of the best of its genre. And he's back with his first novel for adults. It's called Loki. And he'll tell us about it next week on the podcast. In the meantime, you can support the show. Patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Drop us a follow on Twitter. We are at writers there. And you can get in contact using uh, the little form over at writers routine.com. That is the easiest way. I'm excited to hear from you and excited to chat to Melvin Burgess on the show next week. Until then, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.